PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the CrickCast from Physical Therapy. Each month, PTJ Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Crick offers her take on the articles appearing in this month's PTJ. Here is Rebecca Crick. Hello. Welcome to the March issue of Physical Therapy. My name is Becky Craig. I'm Editor-in-Chief. I have several things to say before we get started. First of all, for those of you who had the opportunity to attend the Combined Sections meeting in Las Vegas, Nevada in early February, it was a wonderful meeting. There were almost 11,500 participants, not including the exhibitors. It was a great meeting, great science, great communication. The next thing I'd like to say is that living on the East Coast in the United States has been miserable, and I am so looking forward to the end of March. So I hope that this issue brings sunshine to all of us. There are a couple of other announcements. First of all, there is an iOS app so that the journal can now be yours on your iPhone or your iPad. And in addition, there are EPUB versions of the articles that are available for all the e-readers. So I'm so pleased to say that we continue to march ahead with our technology. Now on to the articles for this month. There are 12 articles. Our first article is a health policy in perspective paper entitled Toward a Rehabilitation Treatment Taxonomy, Summary of Work and Progress by Marcel Dykers and his colleagues. Last fall, Carolee Winstein, Mary Slavin, Nancy White, and I all attended a session where these authors shared their treatment taxonomy, and we were quite excited about this taxonomy. What this team has done is come up with what they hope is a taxonomy that will allow clinicians across the rehab spectrum to carefully document what actually occurs during an intervention. This should really, if adopted, should really help us with research and looking at what the treatments were that were actually provided and certainly in the clinic. So take a moment and read this editorial and look for future work by this team. The LEAP article this month, and I hope you all remember that LEAP stands for Linking Evidence and Practice, is entitled, Can Progressive Resistive Exercise Improve Weight, Limb Girth, and Strength of Individuals with HIV Disease? Co-authored by Keatrees and Galantino from Rutgers University and Richard Stockton College of New Jersey. The Cochrane Review that was completed in August of 2003 looked at the effect of exercise on persons with HIV. The authors felt that there was sufficient evidence to suggest that progressive resistive exercise was effective increasing body weight as well as arm and limb girth. At the end of this sleep, the authors look at more recent literature and say that research that's been published since the Cochrane Review is consistent with the findings of the August 2003 review. The next article is entitled, Increasing the Clinical Utility of the Best Test, the Mini Best Test, and the Brief Best Test, Normative Values in Canadian Adults Who Are Healthy and Aged 50 Years or Older. This team is led by Sashi Ohaski from the University of Toronto. She and the team looked at 79 adults ranging in age from 50 to 89 years and performed these three tests. This is the beginning of a normative database, 
so when looking at the patient that you may see coming to your clinic, you'll be able to use one of these particular tests and compare them to this normative database if your patients are between 50 and 89 years of age. The next article is entitled Determinants of Guidelines Use in Primary Care Physical Therapy, a Cross-Sectional Survey of Attitudes, Knowledge, and Behavior. The team is led by Suzanne Bernardson from Lenkerping University in Sweden. This is an advertisement for an up-and-coming special issue. We have a team of editorial board members that are working on a special issue on implementation science. There's a great concern that research is published but doesn't get translated into clinical practice. And much work has been done identifying the barriers that are associated with that lack of implementation. So how do we increase confidence in clinicians and availability of evidence? I think those are the questions that we have to face as we move forward. The next paper is entitled Declining Cognition and Falls, Role of Risky Performance of Everyday Mobility Activities. Barbara Fisher and her team are from Memorial Veterans Hospital and the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So here's the background for this article. It's very common for us to say that if there's cognitive decline, there is evidence that there's an increased number or risk for falling. That's in the literature. The unique twist that these authors applied is to look at why there was an increased number of falls. What they found was that the older adult with declining cognitive ability demonstrated risky mobility activity. So an example is a person getting into the bathtub, stepping over the side of the tub and into the tub without rails, without a handle to hold on to, would be considered risky activity. The suggestion that they're making then is for physical therapists then to certainly look at the environment and try to reduce opportunities where the person may have a fall. The next paper is entitled Direct Access to Physical Therapy for Patients with Low Back Pain in the Netherlands, Prevalence and Predictors. The first author, Jantin Scale and colleagues, are from the University Medical Center, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, and the Netherlands Institute for Health Services Research in Utrecht. Certainly, direct access has been an issue in the United States for quite a long time. Direct access was granted to physiotherapists in the Netherlands during 2006. And so this article evaluates whether there was a difference in how patients were seen in the Netherlands before and following direct access. And there was a difference. The episodes of care for low back pain increased from about 30% in 2006 to a little more than 50% in 2009. So that was a dramatic change in the manner in which physical therapists were able to see patients with low back pain. Unfortunately, the outcome was not examined in the study. So we have to wait for the next one to see what happens. The next article is entitled Inter-Rated Reliability of the Berg Balance Scale when used by clinicians of various experience levels to assess people with lower limb amputations. This is written by Christopher Wong from the Program of Physical Therapy at Columbia University. I think most of you are familiar with the Berg Balance Scale and certainly we talked about it previously. What Dr. Wong was interested in finding out was whether or not experience of the examiner had an impact on scoring. 
he basically found that experience did not affect the Berg balance scale, which is an excellent finding. The next article is entitled Validity of the Ampac Six Clicks Inpatient Activity and Basic Mobility Short Forms. First author is Diane Jetty from the University of Vermont. Other authors are from the Cleveland Clinic, except for the last author, Alan Jetty from Boston University. I really encourage those of you who are in acute care settings to look at this article. This team used two forms from the activity measure for post-acute care developed by Alan Jetty and his team. There were almost 85,000 patient visits that were included in the database that was used for the study. I really see this as an example of what the acute care setting can become in terms of using tools not only to assess outcomes, but also to look at prognosis of patients. The next article is entitled Validity of the Functional Gait Assessment in Patients with Parkinson's Disease, Construct, Concurrent, and Predictive Validity. I believe this is one of the first articles that we've had from Beijing, China, so I thank the authors for selecting our journal to publish this paper. It appears that this may be another tool for clinicians who are examining patients with Parkinson's disease to use. The problem with this study, as noted by the authors, was the limited length of time of follow-up and the self-reports of falls. So there's more work to be done in being able to determine the utility of the tool, but at least it's demonstrated to be a valid instrument. The case report that we're going to talk about next is entitled Global Position Sensing and Step Activity as Outcome Measures of Community Mobility and Social Interaction for an Individual with a Transfemoral Amputation Due to Dysvascular Disease. This is a really fun case report, and the authors quickly let us know that this isn't for immediate clinical use, but rather it talks about the possibility of having a global positioning sensor as well as a step activity monitor on persons. So they were able, by using the global positioning sensor, to see what the person actually did. So not only the number of steps, but were they transferring from the car to the sidewalk? Were they going into a store? What were they doing in the store? So it's really a spectacular diary of community activities. So I thank the authors for submitting this case report to our journal. There are two spectacular perspectives to end this month's issue. The first is entitled, A Path Model for Evaluating Dosing Parameters for Children with Cerebral Palsy. The first author is Mary Gennady. This is a podcast, so I really encourage you to listen to the podcast. Dr. Sally Westcott-McCoy is the moderator for the podcast, and I think you'll find it really exciting. The final paper in this month's issue is a perspective entitled Future Directions in Painful Knee Osteoarthritis, Harnessing Complexity in a Heterogeneous Population. The first author is Andrew Kittleson. This perspective really challenges the traditional diagnosis of knee osteoarthritis. They ask us to consider a conceptual model for pain in persons with knee arthritis that includes three components knee pathology, which is what we are used to thinking about, psychological distress, and pain neurophysiology. There are so many challenging thoughts presented by the authors in these papers. I hope you really enjoy reading the March issue. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, 
email ptj at apta.org and be sure to include CrakeCast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.